0: Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that we've launched our Patreon site and that you can now become a supporter of the show. The awards in there include artist features on our website and shout-outs on the show, as well as open invitations to join fellow patrons in our roundtable discussion episodes. So if you think you might be interested, please take a look at the link in the description or just go to patreon.com slash at percussion. So slash AT Percussion. Okay, thanks for listening. I feel Oops.
1: triggered by that background.
0: <laughs> <Which> one? <laughs> this one?
2: <laughs>
0: I thought so. Yeah, trigger warning.
2: Please put that away. All right. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Carly Vinha, and this is episode 266 of Ask the With me today, as usual, our co-host, Casey Cangelosi. Hey, Casey.
0: Hey, what's
3: up, Carly?
2: Yeah, everything's good. And Ben Charles is here.
3: Hey, Carly. How's it going?
2: Pretty good. And also, of course, as always, Ksenia Komianovic. How's it going, Ksenia?
4: Hey, Carly. Going well. How are you? Yeah,
2: good. Ksenia, what happened in music history on our release date, January 14th?
4: All right, so um, I found some interesting things. Like the earliest uh, date that came up, and with great confidence, was that on January 14, in 1690, the musical instrument known as the clarinet was invented in Nuremberg, Germany, which I thought was like, wow, how do they know the date of invention? And what does that mean? They just pieced it together and had its first concert. Like, what happened? Uh, it turns out that's not true. Uh, the websites that Joe Mama provides for us to do this part of our podcast homework is—they're—they're um, they're just uh, misleading. Um, it turns out that there is some reasonable doubt that it might be then, but definitely not on this date. Wait, wait, are you
0: saying that news is sometimes wrong?
4: The—the the ones that you tell us to look
0: up. <laughs> oh, but all <laughs> other news yeah. is. is yeah,
4: all correct. other news is fine. Like
0: well, the, the news is general. So weird. the news is generally correct
4: always yes of course okay. yeah, yes. yeah yeah factual yes. yeah okay uh but in any case uh some people think this was johann christoph Denner with the help of his son jakob of nuremberg in germany but it turns out uh they don't know um but this uh johann christoph was a pretty uh, a pretty creative dude and he made something that was called a mock trumpet and that is sort of the clarinet, that's what they think. But they still say doubts remain about who made the clarinet and how. So really not, don't think about it when it's uh, January 14th. More importantly, uh, to Elvis, and this is for me, for my younger self, uh, to Elvis news, uh, 1960, he was promoted to Sergeant in the US Army, Mm, very important. But even more importantly is that in 1973, he was the first performer to have his concert broadcast live via satellite which is really incredible. so 1973, he was in Hawaii and his show Aloha from Hawaii, he was all tan with this very special shiny collar up and you know, all sexy seventies. Um, he got broadcast in Australia and Japan and other countries got to see this on tape delay. So there's a little bit of tech history there. And then finally, and maybe most importantly, 1969 our great buddy, Dave Grohl of Nirvana and Foo Fighters. Hey Dave uh was born so happy birthday man
0: he's an avid listener of the show yes sure.
4: He is. Yeah, I'm sure you're, you're the best man
0: he's the low tier patreon he's a three dollar
4: <laughs> <laughs> he's a darn freshman
0: which which surprised me yeah he's a damn freshman i, I would have thought he'd go for the maybe uh yeah he could afford the higher one but no oh well. yeah no, well,
4: no, well. well but that's it that's it quickening after he hears this episode
0: yeah it's true I, i've never pushed him to up his donation so come on you should
4: try emotional blackmail i think you're good at it
2: Hmm. thanks that was some interesting history today january 14th uh without further ado i'm very happy to introduce our guest today marcelina suhotska is a percussion fellow at the new world symphony and she has also performed with the chicago symphony with the kansas city symphony utah symphony and hudson valley philharmonic she has been featured as a soloist with the Chicago Symphony and at Carnegie Hall as a winner of the NPR YouTube Big Great competition. In addition to that, she's one of the founding members of Excelsius Quartet and All-Female Percussion Quartet that's based in New York City and the Pathless Trio, which is a New York City based group whose focus is to play new commissioned pieces and mixed styles of music. Marcelina has won positions at Tanglewood, Pacific Music Festival, Music Academy of the West. National Repertory Orchestra, and the Spoleto Festival. She's been the recipient of many awards, including first prize in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra's Young Artist Concerto Competition, the Jack Kent Cook Young Artist Award, and the Polish National Alliance's Young Artist Award. It's such a pleasure to have you back on the show. You were back, I think, episode 21 with one of the members of your quartet, Mariana Ramirez, but welcome back. It's wonderful to have you.
1: Thank you. And you nailed my name. That's, that's very rare for someone to nail my name like that last name. So I, thank you. And it's a pleasure to be back here.
2: <laughs> Thanks for the credit because I did study it. Um, well, I thought actually, we usually save our Facebook questions for a little later, but I really liked this one and it's from a special friend of the podcast. I thought I'd start with Josh Jones's question for Marcelino, which is most emotional musical experience. And also, P.S. You are awesome. Oh.
1: oh wow thank you Josh (laughs) I feel like there have been a few but one of the ones that like I think sticks out yeah I feel like everybody's uh, musical journey tends to be quite emotional I think especially like you know being an immigrant to this country you know just the journey here and kind of some of the hardships and just being a musician that comes with a lot of hardships so there are a lot of tears and you know emotions in general but one of the experiences I remember vividly is um, I was playing at the Tanglewood Music Center as a uh, percussionist there. And you know, I was so lucky to be there th- that summer. Um, and my parents visited for a week or a few days or something. And they happened to visit a concert that uh, Tanglewood was putting on. It's called Tanglewood on Parade. And it's kind of like their big concert where they have like fireworks and just they bring out all these you know famous conductors and in the morning they're watching the rehearsal and they literally bumped into john williams which was like my mom's just like freaking out because like a lot of people's you know pull to play classical music is actually through like the music of john williams i would say so just seeing him she's like oh my gosh you know she's freaking out (laughs) and i was trying to tell her like don't like don't go up to him just like leave him alone like you know and she like resisted um because he's got like this whole security detail it's like you know He's older, so we have to, like, we, we, he's precious, you know, we need to be careful with him. And so uh, later on, uh, like, when the concert was happening in the evening, she gets to, like, the lawn, which is, like, this big spread out place here, you've ever been to Tanglewood. And, like, in the morning, that lawn was just a humongous lawn. But when she got there, there was thousands, like, tens of thousands of people, I think, they're kind of like 30,000 people. Oh, the pre-Corona days, and she just started crying. Like she just started crying. I'm like, "Why? What's going on?" She's like, "This is this is why I came to this country." Like, and my mom's not a very like heartfelt person. You know, she's pretty like kind of like iron mom. Like she's not screwing around. And so for her to kind of show that emotion like really meant a lot. And she kind of felt proud of me for making it that far. and yeah, it was just a nice, you know, nice feeling. That's so but awesome. Parents are the best.
0: I'd love to put an addendum to the question, and that is, what is your favorite musical moment at a heavy metal concert? Because I saw in your bio, I found a bio it says you enjoy heavy metal, so just have our own call.
1: Oh man. Um probably an emotional moment was that the question emotional moment I mean is? sure
0: yeah or you could just tell us like some heavy metal you like
1: i never cried I've never cried at a metal concert yet I do anticipate that will happen but when I lived in New York City it was much easier to go to metal concerts I feel like here the music is you know amazing but it's like yeah definitely more like Latin music Cuban music um kind of like techno and like party music you know in Miami Beach so I definitely missed the metal scene in New York City. We would get all these bands from like Northern Europe, which, you know, they like come to America once every like decade or so. So I saw some pretty like niche Norwegian black metal bands. But my number one experience was going to a concert with my father in Chicago. My dad's like this big metal head and he's kind of an imposing looking person if you ever met him he's like shakes his head he's got all these tattoos he's like this big guy really deep voice and we went to this metal show together and it just so happened to be this like really up-and-coming band but they happened to be from our hometown in poland which is not a huge hometown so the chance of them like making it at least to chicago was like whoa so
2: it was a really cool experience (laughs) cool that's good. Not every guest can can answer what was your most emotional metal experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ben, I think you have something.
3: Yeah, well, uh, Carly mentioned in your bio that you are playing in the New World Symphony. And for me, until I actually went to Miami, I, I had no idea what the New World Symphony was. Um, and we've had a few guests, Patty Nimi comes to mind, that was actually a New World Symphony when it started. Um, But could you, first of all, for the uninformed, just tell us what New World Symphony is and tell us about your experience with it, what it's like to work with MTT and the direction you think it's going these days?
1: So New World Symphony, yeah, it is a very weird thing to try to explain to people because there's kind of nothing else like it pretty much in the world. And the title of it is that's America's Orchestral Academy. And that's pretty much what it is. It's almost kind of like a doctor's like, what is that in-between place called? The doctor's? Residence? Yeah, it's kind of, it's, that's kind of how I explain to people. It's like we are treated as professionals. However, we are still like mentored. And so we do have definitely have that freedom to explore um, whatever we want to. I mean, chances are, if you are at the New World Symphony, you do want to play in an orchestra. So it's already kind of narrowed down to that, I would say in general. But the New World Symphony, yeah, is a training academy for young or- orchestral musicians anywhere like between like right out of undergrad to in their early 30s or something. So it's basically like a 20 to 30 something year old. And uh, we all uh, live together, not like in the same house. It's not like Big Brother <laughs> or something. Um, but <laughs> what is it called? The real world? What was that? Anyways, but not that. Um, but we live in Miami. Like... <laughs> we get put up in like apartment buildings. And so we don't have to worry about that. And we get to rehearse together. We oftentimes have visiting coaches. We participate um, in the community with like outreach and different kind of outreach and performance projects. That's how me and Carly get to know each other. (laughs) But it's it's, it's truly a -a one-of-a-kind place, especially with uh, our uses of technology. Our uh, stage itself is state of the art. Um, We can transform it any kind of way we need. We've often have actually ballet last year, we worked with the Miami city ballet, which was amazing with MTT on Stravinsky, which is kind of like that's the trifecta because MTT was one of the few um, people today that has worked directly with Stravinsky and like he knows all about this stuff. So that was amazing. Um, But working with MTT, it's you know people always talk about like musical genius and talk about like Bernstein stuff like that and to me it it definitely is that kind of lineage I think MTT is his own person but he is truly America's one of the musical geniuses he is you know very what's it called he's like he's like his own person you know he's it's almost like he's not from this planet sometimes but yeah he he's very definitely giving like this year out of any year in particular you know he's made himself available to us I've been so lucky to be able to play for him uh this year I played some Bach for him on Marumba which was very very nice and like personal and he listened to me and gave me some really great advice and I think he also
4: what did he say what did he say
1: (laughs) he really definitely thinks outside of the box he was encouraging me to transpose things not just like up an octave he's like wouldn't this just sound better somewhere in the middle? And I'm like, darn it, yes, you're right, but that's so much work, (laughs) you know? And then he also mentioned um, even transposing within a piece, not like to a different key. In that case, I think he'd mean like an octave and even just like musical suggestions with like sequences. He encourages me to change the rhythm of maybe a sequence, not like drastically, but yeah, he's definitely like just you know, go for it kind of person. That's, that's what I tend to gravitate towards. And I think he always just tries to bring out the musicality out of us. So he that's seems so awesome.
3: nice too. <laughs> like, I just can't get over how nice he always seems.
1: Yes. Yeah. I've never
2: heard him like snap or anyone. He's like a tall angel. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, about the back. you think about most, most of us lean towards one direction or the other of yeah, go for it, make changes, make it work for you and your instrument and what you're doing. Or just the opposite, like, no, play the ink, play what Bach wrote, like, let's honor that. So it's it's cool for me. I, I tend to go more towards the make changes, make it work, put your own, own spin on it and your musicality, so it's nice to hear. Here's the question, what Bach did you mm-hmm. play? It was the second from the Sonata Partita book in
1: D minor, and I was playing the first two movements. Oh, nice.
4: Um, Marcelina, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you mentioned your experience as an immigrant, and I'm just wondering, um, I think you, you're totally a star and definitely you are owning like the, the American market You're you're at it and you are in this amazing musical Navy SEAL <laughs> Academy type of thing. Uh, but I wonder, um, what about your connection to anything that happens musically in Poland? How do you feel besides the metal bands that come out of your hometown? Um, what What do you feel about what goes on there? Because Poland also has a lot of musical treasure to offer. So what's it like in your life?
1: Um, I actually didn't get a chance to really know what was going too much in Poland in terms of like percussion, um, until uh, last summer, or was it the pre-pandemic, the summer before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got home and I had no plans of like kind of doing anything musical, but I I got called to sub in my hometown, Full Harmonic, which was super crazy because my my parents uh, were like um, raised kind of musically there. So how it works and at least my hometown probably in several places across Poland is that there's a Philharmonic, but there's also like a free kind of like state, like music school. And so you go to like your elementary school, and then the second half of the day you go to like music school unless like you're really into sports or something. But I would say like most kids, they go into music school and it's super intense. Like they go to theory. I remember going to theory class, we had piano and one more instrument and sometimes even um like ballet or something they just like you know fill up your time and so it was super random that i got to play with my hometown philharmonic Uh, i got to play Carmina barana and what's amazing that the choirs in poland and just like eastern europe in general are just fire they're crazy like (laughs) you know like i i I got to play like obviously right in front of the choir and i'm like my hair like those called my i was getting goosebumps my hairs are standing up it was amazing experience but before that i didn't have much experience playing i mean i i have played for several europeans actually mainly from london and then also in the pacific music festival in japan the pacific music festival is like a summer festival that occurs in japan sapporo in northern island of japan And it's also like kind of younger musicians and until then i had not played with any european percussionists and so we Got there, and I was the only percussionist from America. So I, I was like the freak. And I'm like, why are you guys all sitting down? What are you doing? And I'm like, we're just like, uh-huh. go back and forth. <laughs> we just like make fun of each other. Like, why are you doing that?
4: Yeah. <laughs> no, but please do tell, actually, because there's, I, I also, I come from Serbia, so I have experience of, you know, seeing orchestras there and then traveling through Europe, but yes, there's a the whole thing of like, you should be sitting down or you should be standing up while you play timpani, you never sit down unless you have to be an octopus, and then you never mute a snare drum, are you insane, I've seen various things, so, and it's always, it always comes with a shock if you're from another continent, so I'm wondering yeah. what your experience was. <laughs>
1: No, I mean, I think it was absolutely positive. Like, there's always something you can learn from someone else. You know, I, I learned things from like my students. You can you can make the experience what you want to make. I mean, you can make it a weird experience, but for me, I'm always just trying to like, yeah, learn as much as I can and like make friends. And so, definitely, getting to play with some European percussionists was amazing, and that's something I would like to explore more for sure. I made some friends this last time I was in Poland. I um, actually met a musician in the National Opera in Warsaw and she's an amazing percussionist. She teaches at two different schools, she plays in the opera and she plays like freelancing in Warsaw and so it was really cool to get to meet her because she's like this like also super badass you know amazing woman who's just like doing her thing. But yeah we like we were you know exchanging ideas back and forth. We had coffee a few times with like you know girl crushing over each other. And she's asking me all these questions, like, what is, what is this? Like, I was introducing her to some of the books that we have that they might not, which is like Tompkins, you know, Joe's a good friend of mine. And also like, I have the utmost respect for him as well, just as a musician. And I was like, oh, check this out. She's like, what is this? And she actually didn't even know about like French rudimental drumming, because everybody knows French classical drumming, which is actually uh, a little bit different. But yeah, we were just like sharing ideas and I scanned her a few like ragtimes so she can like, you know, look at that. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a great experience.
3: So I, I actually have sort of a stupid question. When Cassinia said something, it just made me think of this. I was like, oh yeah, I, I never actually looked into that. I found a video a while back of the Stuttgart Radio uh, Symphony Orchestra performing. It was just the percussion section playing Scheherazade. And yeah, the snare drummer is seated, and like when I think of seated snare drumming, like I saw Casey play snare drum, but he was sitting on like a timpani throne or like a bar stool. Um, But they're sitting at like like drum set height, and like, what? Yeah, why? Why do they do that? That just seems like you'd be so low down in the orchestra. (laughs) I don't know. That's a
1: question for them. I do not know why they do that. OK, they didn't tell you. They
3: just made fun of you for standing. Gotcha. When,
1: when, we, had, when we had like occasional European exchange students in my school, my teacher's like,
2: no. <laughs> no. I have, I've probably had like several middle and high school students that would be thrilled to know it's a legit way Like, how many times have we had that conversation, that argument with students?
3: (laughs) We had a friend from Switzerland at Miami, uh, Manuel Lujanberger, and yeah, I remember like the first wind ensemble rehearsal, I was like, what the hell is this guy doing? (laughs) He's (laughs) sitting down playing snare drum. Well,
4: I (laughs) wonder if if people didn't have maybe tall stands, maybe that's a thing that got invented in the U.S., because U.S. is very inventive. But also, I think that I know, and this is Serbia, might not be all of Europe, um, but Initially, the percussionists used to be retired uh, symphony orchestra members. So like a retired violinist who wants to still play goes on back and plays timpani. So they're really so insulting. thinking, uh, but that's just how it was. I think like I don't know, <laughs> 50, 70 years ago or something, um, it is pretty crazy. So it might've just been like, dude, I normally play the violin sitting down. Why should I like, you know, whatever, give me a stool. The rest, the rest of it.
3: I will say like, I feel like European orchestra stages from what I've seen are usually kind of more tiered. um, And like, it makes more sense. Like the the thing I was talking about at the wind ensemble rehearsal, we're sitting in a flat floor rehearsal room. Like he's way in the back underneath all the brass, can't see. So uh, I don't know, maybe that helps too, but yeah, it it just looks so strange to me.
0: All right, y'all are never gonna believe this, but I Googled it. Why why do some orchestral snare drummers sit down? And I didn't didn't find an answer. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Check the I know You're probably please. all real surprised, <laughs> but yeah. but wait, I, like if you've never tried it, you should. It's like super comfortable. I feel like I play way better sitting down. I, I mean, especially I, if you have something hard to play. If you have I mean, something hard I do, to play I,
3: it, I like I like sitting. Like I saw you sit on a bar stool, like where you're at, like sort of standing height. That to me makes sense. But just like being seated, like on a piano bench on stage to play snare drum. Well, and, well and,
0: and when I when I was playing, it was solo. Like you probably saw me play solo. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're solo, you don't need to be above anything. So, you know, I mean, the only reason to do it at a bar stool height would be to like, you know, keep the standing height that the orchestra that is favorable to, you know, inside the orchestra. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I wonder how anyone would have like a super strong opinion about it. Like I'm, is, I'd be amazed if a conductor. Uh, yeah, was like, what do you, you have to stand? Like was like, what, why, what do you, what do you mean? Like explain, explain mm-hmm. how you.
1: Yeah, whatever makes people feel. Yeah. more comfortable. I would just say in general, um, it is like a visual instrument, though, like, especially nowadays, there's more and more videos, you know, people are trying to be more and more, on, more and more social media. And even like when you're playing, like for example, tambourine, my teacher was always encouraging me to learn how to play things up and before I have to like go down and, you know, play them down. Just because like there are conductors like I want to see it, though. Like, I want to see it. You know, must mm-hmm. do it.
3: So. Yep, if yep. anyone has the answer drop that in the comment section down below
0: <laughs> or zoom bomb the meeting and drop it just yeah. yeah zoom bomb our
3: meeting right now. Well
2: Marceline as you mentioned earlier you and I met recently because you some work with Miami Music Project coming and doing some classes with them and so I wanted to ask you you've studied with some really legendary teachers uh, over the years both in Chicago and then at Manhattan School of Music. I wonder how do you think their teaching has influenced you most both as a player and as a teacher?
1: Um, I think yeah I've been so incredibly lucky to be studying with uh, my teachers back in Chicago and also my teachers at Manhattan School of Music even, like, my teachers in Chicago were saying, like, oh, like, you're about to stay with some really cool people, too, and so they, I think they both just had respect for each other, and so that was, like, just very nice and wholesome. And I, I think that their teaching style in general is, like, really about having your fundamentals so locked in that you can express yourself as much as, you know, you, as as much as you would like to, so your technique never kind of hinders what you would like to express. And so it's really just about like, oh, chops for the sake of chops. It's like, my teachers are always like, this is gonna let you have like a more clear voice and people are gonna be able to kind of understand what you're trying to say. And I mean, each one of them has had, you know, different amazing things to offer and they each are, have their own personality and their own style of teaching. But in general, um, I do take a lot from them in terms of when I, when I teach, I do focus quite a bit on fundamentals and pretty heavy on um, making sure everything's lined up before you move to the next thing, and just kind of a really rudimented, like, uh, like I guess the kind of Navy SEAL way of um training. Um, I can be a little bit brutal on my students, <laughs> they will attest, but it's definitely the most rewarding at the end though, because then you see like they are themselves surprised. Oh, I can't believe I can play like a clean role. I can't believe it. You know, I guess, you you know, you worked really hard at it. And so definitely, definitely requires, you know, the student to also, you know, want to uh, practice. And I feel like also parents are huge. I think if my parents kind of were like maybe whatever at towards the beginning of my studies, maybe I wouldn't have been as hardcore as I was but because my mom's like this like crazy, like tiger mom, I love her, but she's very intense. Um, like I'll send her a video. I, I actually recently sent her a video. It was just like for fun. And she's like, oh, this, and this is could bit better. And then
2: work on this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll be like 80 years old
2: getting comments, I swear. <laughs> Thanks, Marcelina. You're also a founding member of the Excelsis Percussion Quartet and the Pathos Trio, as we mentioned. Um, What were some of your goals in creating each of these groups? Would you tell us a little bit? So um, the Excelsis
1: Quartet in New York um, was an idea from Mariana Ramirez, and that is an episode on your podcast that if people are really interested about how uh, that came about, they can go back and uh, listen or watch that. But just to sum it up, um, we noticed that at the time, there were, like, pretty much no, there was no, like, all-female percussion quartet, and we're like, hey, it'd be fun, you know, to get together and just kind of offer a different perspective, and also um, maybe focusing on commissioning, like, other women or um, underserved um, communities, and so that's kind of always been something that was important to me, even with the other trio I uh, play in, uh, the Pathos Trio, which is two percussion and one pianist it's felix reyes and alan hankers and felix is the percussionist alan is our pianist and also he's a terrific composer and he's also a metal musician um he's in gia so that's a plug for him you're welcome alan (laughs) um but yeah our ensemble as well right now is yeah has always been focused on uh working with you know people of underserved communities and stuff like that and so we are right now focusing on our next kind of rounds of commissions for the next year uh with POC people and yeah I think to me it's always been just natural thing uh I think to play chamber music and be you know still work on your solo stuff as long along with your orchestral training and but to me that's always been something that's just like kind of obvious because my teachers demonstrated that to me from an early age i mean even um i, I never studied with cynthia but i would see cynthia Ye like uh, soloing with the symphony and she would play in the kind of more modern concerts at chicago um, symphony and i was like what is this weird music but actually that kind of turned me on to them like oh, actually sounds really cool and like you can do all this stuff and and you can play with other musicians. And so, to me, I was like, okay, well, if the principal percussionist of CSO is like doing this, seems like you know something something that one would one would like to aspire to to be as well. And so, I mean, even um, like my teacher uh, Chris Lam in the New York Philharmonic, he's the principal percussionist there. Uh, before I got to MSM, actually, that summer he had just won a Grammy for his concerto, which to me was like absolutely nuts because. I didn't think uh, a percussionist would win that category. Not that we didn't deserve it, but it's just like that to me, it's like that category belongs to like Yu Wang and like Yo-Yo Ma as the, you know, they should, they're amazing. Um, but so to see that my teacher I was about to study with won a Grammy for, I believe it was the Schwantner, I was just like, Oh, this is crazy. Like that he, you know, he plays solo just as well as I see him playing the symphony, just totally killing it. And so to me, that's always something I've kind of inspired to be, is just like this multifaceted percussionist that says yes to a lot of things and
2: is able to play a lot of things. And that's is marketable. Well, that's awesome. I think that's that's the way to go and pays off, you know, for, for everybody in so many ways. And I'll vouch for that. Just before we started recording, I saw um, an Instagram story of you playing bongos on Lincoln Road, I think, right? <laughs> oh yeah, pandemic gigs. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well,
2: it looked fun.
4: I wanted to ask, so I heard that um, the New World Symphony has extended um, the mandate for all of its members due to everything for a year, which is fantastic because it means that everybody still gets the opportunity to practice and so on, um, and wait to have the auditions open. Um, now, what is, what is your dream orchestra? <laughs> I'm putting it on the spot, but what is your, like, if you could now pick whichever one you wanted to plan, what would it be?
1: I almost like don't want to say, because I don't want to jinx it, you know, <laughs> but also I'll say, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to jinx it. So I have to say a few.
4: Okay. But,
1: um, I mean, to be honest, I will be happy kind of wherever I end up. Like, I I truly, I, tr- I truly believe that, you know, if I won from the West Coast to the East Coast, the, to the Midwest, I think I would be happy and uh, you know with with the kind of orchestral percussion route oftentimes you do not get to choose where where you live you do not get to choose that at all like i think maybe that you know some of the luckiest people like win you know their hometown if that's where they want to play or like their dream city for example that is you know it's like not only like you already made it to to, a, to an orchestral position but then you also got your dream study. So I I, I truly would be happy to be playing um, in any symphony orchestra. And it would also be an amazing uh, dream of mine to also set up some kind of percussion program that um, similar to kind of what I grew up with, the percussion scholarship group in Chicago Symphony. If I could set something up anywhere near what they uh, are doing, that would be uh, a dream come true.
4: That's that's lovely. And it's so wonderful that you look back on uh, things that provided you with the opportunities and that you're always looking towards giving back. And I'm glad that you have your top orchestra. It's totally okay if you don't want to say it, but you have your eye set on something. Now, uh, there's a thing that I'm, I'm really interested in, which is sort of the psychology of, of prepping for auditions. It's Obviously it's not just chops, it's not just whether you're good, but you're like an athlete and so much of it is the mental game. And I'm wondering whether you discuss that at New World and how you're doing that during the pandemic because you don't have anything mm-hmm. right in sight, but could you tell us, like how do you strengthen your brain game?
1: Yeah, certainly. That is certainly something that New World um, provides for us, and we're incredibly lucky that we'll have visiting psychologists of different sorts. Specifically, we'll have Noel Kagayama, um, who I'm like I'm sure you know he's kind of oh, like, like the guy, yeah, the guy out there, and he's super sweet, such a, a down to earth guy. And so he'll come about like twice a year, and you can even elect to have like a just a virtual lesson with him and those are really really beneficial especially if it's one-on-one because a lot of the kind of problems that percussionists have maybe are a little more fine-tuned to like what we are doing but that's definitely something that you know you're always like working on is fine-tuning like your musicianship but also like your mental game absolutely because no one is perfect um and you know what good like i i heard Yo know Ma uh talking i think I don't know, who was online or before a concert or something. And he kind of says like, I'm not really afraid to make a mistake. If anything, I'm kind of waiting for the first one. So like, okay, when is it gonna happen? Oh, there it is, okay. And then he kind <laughs> of like relaxes. And I think that's kind of a beautiful way to look at it, which is like, you know, it's gonna happen, boom. But for me, yeah, of course you wanna like um, make sure that you are at least capable of executing what you did in the practice room. And so for me, that's been a long kind of journey and it is for a lot of orchestral percussionists because the reality of what we do is so kind of insane where you know you practice for months for uh, like, you play all these like five to 20 second little pieces of music. And sometimes you'll have like three pages of these excerpts. Um, like a, the list itself is like three pages long and it's like 20 things on xylophone, snare drum, all this stuff. And so you have to all sort it in your head and make sense of it all and and each little musical excerpt has to be very unique and so there's kind of nothing else like it because like in a solo you can kind of like communicate you know the several characters that are in it but in terms of an orchestra round it's one of the most kind of demanding things you can ask uh it's almost like like actors being told okay now do this okay now do this do this okay now be this character and like on the spot with instruments that you've not seen after traveling uh maybe even losing your luggage showing up uh you may not have had enough time to warm up or maybe you're distracted or something and you have to execute so for me a lot of things that have helped are like mock auditions which is basically you just kind of set up an audition as you would um normally take one but like in your so for me it's a new world symphony we have amazing facilities where I can set up all the percussion instruments. And I'll have either percussionists come in, but usually I actually have non-percussionists and I'll play for them um, like around, you know, without speaking and maybe they'll call it out or I'll pre-select it. And I'll do tons of those mock auditions before I go out to play. And I increase those the closer I get to the audition. And then the last week is kind of just kind of like a rest week where I lightly touch on things but it's mostly just fundamentals and like getting lots of sleep but yeah it's so much like an athlete one of the last kind of things I tried which has proven to be more successful are mock auditions at uh in the morning I wish I could do it earlier but our hall opens like I think at seven and so I would get to the hall at seven and I bike there so I like bike hands and without warming up I just show up and I like play around just for myself because like no one's no one's gonna Come with me at seven in the morning to the hall, um, and I'll play. You know the round, and at the the first day you do it, it just sounds like awful. Like you can't even recognize your lieutenant keeps you from your whatever. Like it's just unrecognizable. You can't play anything. But the point of that is that you're getting your worst better, and instead of like it doesn't really look like this, it kind of looks like this. Your better gets a your best gets a little bit better actually, because. You it's are nice. training your, yeah, you're training your fine motor muscles to be like, wake up, do it. And you are training kind of a lot of things. Like for me, my brain, um, I have to train to to recognize what excerpt am I playing? What's the tempo? What's, you know, kind of the time period? What's the style? Um, like, I usually have like a word for something. So I don't know, I'm about to play uh movement three, letter D. I'm thinking lilt, which is like, kind of like a flowing whatever and to me I kind of take that thing I just said which is like you know all the things I have to think about before I play an excerpt and I that when I said it was probably like a minute and I'll try to get on 40 to 30 seconds to like 10 seconds I can like before I start an excerpt I think about okay what am I doing and I play and that's kind of what that mock audition thing is for but even just every time I'm in the practice room I try to do it even now during the pandemic I think it's also it's hard it's, it's easier you know said than done we're all no one's practicing you know every day perfect now because let's face it we're, we don't have really that much to prepare for it may maybe a virtual concert every few months but it is something to like kind of remind yourself it's okay Like let's let's try to have a day when I like do take everything quite seriously like not like this but you know Mm-hmm. um try to try to take some of these concepts and like don't let them just go in the wayside just because you don't have anything coming up and, and again i have better days and worse days but um yeah that's something to kind of just train for
4: That's awesome, that's awesome, and that really, I mean, that was make your worst become better, that's that's gold, thanks, I'll put that on a bumper sticker on my fridge, (laughs) that's important.
0: Yeah, I love that illustration, that's so great, for those of you just listening, you know, imagine two levels, one at 10, one at zero, and they both go up, but the one at zero goes up, you know, many more increments than the one at 10, it's real, Mm -hmm. such a great uh, observation.
2: Yeah, yeah. Marcelina, I wanted to ask you just as a follow-up, um, I think it's the most normal thing in the world during the pandemic. For at least some days, you're more motivated. Some days, you're less motivated. What have been some ways that you've stayed motivated to keep practicing and making music through, through this crazy last nine months or so?
1: Um, definitely just seeing uh, people's projects motivates me. Like, occasionally, like, something will pop up. And I'm like, oh, this person's Cynthia was doing like a little solo recital early on and I was like, whoa, it's really cool. And then I'll see, like, um, I happened to be in the MSM Percussion Summit, which was was virtual. And that was so well run and so inspirational. And just like little things here and there. And also just my section inspires me. Uh, The guys in my section are awesome percussionists, awesome human beings. And uh, just seeing kind of what they're up to you know, like I'll walk in and, you know, Kevin, he's practicing drums. I'm like, ooh, I should probably practice drum set. Like we kind of like maybe mooch ideas off each other. Um, like, ooh, I should probably do that. And also there's projects for me, even just recording a little thing for Instagram. Like I do want it to sound good. So I have to practice for it. And even if it's just a snippet right now, the thing I'm working towards is a online um, solo recital that's going to be taking place in March which is going to be my first solo recital in a long time. So that will be a kick in the butt. So That's awesome. What's the rep? Sedimental Structures by Gordon Stout. And then I'm doing Tubarez by Joe Tompkins. I'm playing Tumblers for Marimba Computer and Violin by Vignal. I am playing Bells for New Orleans by Roscoe Mitchell, a Chicago-based composer. It's a bell solo. Which I was like, this is cool. I, I discovered a book called Summit, and it's like, check it out if you you know if you're bored and nothing else is with your life like me. Um, it's a book of just uh, glockenspiel solos, and I think it's like really cool to just kind of explore all those sounds because that's such a particular sense of touch, you know. And then mattress dance by Sathis. mattress yeah Ben played. I call I call it mattress dance mattress yeah. dance that's perfect. <laughs>
4: Well, we can yeah. all look forward to it. And you tell us when it is uh, in March. Okay, March. yeah. How do,
0: you, um, how do you plan on presenting it? Like Zoom or... Because so many people, it seems like a very you know ongoing discussion of what's the best way to live stream something, you know?
1: Yeah, I believe New World is doing it um, through Facebook Live, but it's also on their website. We do have ticketed events, which are kind of funneled through Adagio, which is a new... Uh, app that a lot of people are using right now to like a lot of music halls are basically um, substituting and as you know concert tickets, but I believe yeah I believe it'll be on New World's website and we are very fortunate though that we have like huge video crew and lighting crew and I wish makeup and hair crew, happens. <laughs> um, but <laughs> no but um we truly have like pro like video. Pro- rows that you know make us look like you know we're doing no bum they're really really amazing and they're gonna kind of get things together but i believe i think i might pre-record for it i believe that's how they want to do it and that way i can maybe even have composer interviews or i don't know um just kind of more interesting clips here and there uh but yeah it's all kind of done through our video team and then on our usually on our facebook um Facebook and our new world page. And I might, I don't know, I might like put my phone up and also like put it on my Instagram or something. So, yeah.
0: Is that something that uh, all the members of new world are free to do, or is it part of re- requirements or anything like that? Like did all the fellows get the opportunity to do that?
1: for solo recitals? Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of like can elect to do that. Um, they have a certain amount of, Per season, I believe they have four solo recital spots per season. But there's also a series called Inside the Music, which is um, more like it's like half speaking and half playing. And because I don't want to hear the sound of my own voice that long, I I, I elected to do the solo recital because that's just that's just what I do. Um, but there are people who give phenomenal like you know recitals where they speak and like and have different kind of media. Um, highlighted throughout. So that's definitely an option. Um, And then there's like presenting from the stage, um, which is usually done with the orchestra. So maybe less conceivable right now, but people have had, people have created entire orchestra kind of programs, like fellows, you know, my age. And for example, we had one on like climate change. We had one on Latina composers since we're in Miami. And yeah, like you can really make this experience Uh, as involved as you know I know there's some fellows here that just work their butts off that motivate me to do more and more within the organization that you know put on recitals Then they're also like going to do gigs and they're teaching and so yeah the the organization definitely definitely helps you with whatever as as crazy as project as you want to make it they will help you out cool that's
2: awesome well we will look forward to hearing about your recital in March thank you Ben, I think you have something to share with us today. What do you have?
3: Yeah, so whenever I think about, uh, we have a Polish guest, and whenever I think about Polish musicians, Kaska always comes to mind, and of course Chopin, but there's another name, uh, Penderecki, that comes to mind quite a bit, and he actually passed away in March of this year. It was uh, March 29th, uh, not COVID-related, but I I wanted to talk about Penderecki, and I wanted to talk about my introduction to him, which was through uh, Stanley Kubrick's very famous use of music. And so I figured we could actually talk about a few pieces of classical music that Stanley Kubrick used in his movies. Um, And hopefully I'm not too confusing today because a lot of these pieces have a story behind the piece and then there's the story of the movie and I will try to keep those uh, separate so it makes sense as much as possible. (laughs) Uh, But I wanted to start out today with talking about 2001 A Space Odyssey which has this very famous opening scene known as the Dawn of Man that uses Richard Strauss's also Spruck Zarathustra. And I have a little uh, image of that here. Uh, You might have seen this scene in the movie if that's ringing a bell. Um, So Strauss's piece is based on text by Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, it's, which has the same name and it deals with the eternal recurrence of the same and the evolution of humans, which very much is like uh, in vain with the the content of the movie. So this opening scene, it shows a tribe of prehistoric hominids in Africa that are driven away from their waterhole by a rival tribe. They discover this alien monolith that influences them to use a bone as a weapon. Uh, And so also Sprock plays out as a monkey is shown attacking a set of bones and then the ultimate killing of a hominid in the rival tribe. In so many words, this is prehistoric man discovering violence. And then at the end of the movie, uh, there's this scene where the movie is bookended by also Sprock when at the end there's uh, this Bowman star child is overlooking the earth, which symbolizes rebirth. Um, So if you're into Kubrick and you know 2001, A Space Odyssey, you you can probably uh, make a lot more connections than that, but that's the the basics of it. And then the other film I wanted to talk about is The Shining. Uh, The Shining includes music by Berlioz, Ligeti, Bartok, and Penderecki, who we're going to talk about today. The soundtrack, the original music, is by Wendy Carlos with musical editing by Gordon Stainforth. And the musical editing was was actually really interesting to read about. Uh, Gordon Stainforth actually was very precise in his synchronization synchronization of music to cues. And in fact, Stanley Kubrick would edit videos to a certain length so that the the music would run the correct length. So it seems like there was quite a collaboration there. The opening scene features uh, the character in the movie Jack Torrance driving to the uh, resort where he's going to take care of it over the winter holiday. Um, and in this opening scene, uh, there's the D.S. Eri from Symphony Fantastique playing. So if you're familiar with Symphony Fantastique, the story of that, it has this like dark tone of anti-heroism where the, the central character uh, murders his beloved and he's celebrated in this like weird dark opium dream. And then the story of the movie itself features Jack descending into insanity and attempting to murder his wife, Wendy. So there's quite a few parallels there. And then uh, it also contains music by Christoph Penderecki, uh, including The Awakening of Jacob, Denatra Sonoris, Numbers 1 and 2, Ultrinia, and Polymorphia. And I pardon my pronunciation on any of those, Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit specifically about the piece The Awakening of Jacob. Uh, The title references a Bible verse from Genesis 28, 16. Uh, And Jacob, in this verse, has a dream of a ladder in the desert that leads up to heaven, uh, and he sees angels ascending and descending from that ladder. He awakes from his dream, and he says, truly, the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it, Uh, which to me, maybe Kubrick is possibly using this as a reference to the haunted resort that Jack Torrance is working in. Uh, and this piece, uh, again, it's called the, w- the Awakening of Jacob, is much like his trinity to the victims of Hiroshima. It ha- it's like a soundscape piece that has all these tones, clusters, extended techniques, and unusual instruments, including 12 ocarinas, and he avoids the concepts of melody, harmony, and traditional development in this piece. Uh, So I found those things really interesting in Stanley Kubrick's movies, and there are several others. I found, sorry, I lost this article from uh, a website called Taste of Cinema, called The Ten Greatest Uses of Music in a Stanley Kubrick Film. I'm also a huge fan of A uh, A Clockwork Orange, which has Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in it, so check that out sometime. Um, But anyone have any uh, thoughts about this or Penderecki's music?
4: Um, I was going to say, this is not uh, related to Penderecki, I'm sorry, but it is about uh, Kubrick's use of Ligeti's music uh, in the Odyssey, which uh, was uh, not allowed. So apparently he gave it uh, to Alex North, who was uh, the composer um, as uh, the temp music. So it was like, here's what you should sort of look up to. And uh, he didn't like it. So he used Ligeti's music and Ligeti, I think was in Vienna and saw it and saw that it was his music and was like, hello, what the hell? Um, Got paid uh, in beans basically, but uh, Kubrick did uh, of course happily uh, cite his uh, name, put his name in the title and titles. So um, it sort of launched Ligeti to new fame. Um, But I think uh, this is really interesting. This is not the first time Disney has also without uh, getting actual approval from Stravinsky uh, abused his Rite of Spring in his Fantasia, putting it to a dinosaur story, which Stravinsky was very much against. And I think that's really interesting how these uh, movie directors feel like they can just take a living composer's music and abuse it.
3: <laughs> Sorry. I, actually, Ksenia, that reminds me of something I read about. What was the, the composer's name? Was it something North?
4: Alex North. Yeah, Alex, Alex North,
3: North, yeah. So that famous opening scene uh, that uses also Sprock, uh, he, it actually, Alex North originally composed music for it, and uh, he did not know that they did not use the music that he had composed for it until he saw the the movie, and Kubrick had replaced it. so awful. It's so awful. <laughs> it's so awful. So, Jesus. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think it'd be
0: neat though if we got back to like a place where. If you like this music, use that music. And because like Casenia's story, it's so common now. Hey, I want, you know, the director says, I want something like this. And they give the composer a recording of something that is real and does exist. And the composer says, okay, yeah, I can write something that sounds like that. And uh, then you get this piece that's like almost holst the planets but it's not it's john williams jurassic park you know and and you're kind of like Ugh, you kind of get this painful like dude, just use holst you know like you basically rewrote holst you know just use it like give credit to where that actually came from and and i but i also get your fantasia comparison because yeah definitely like fantasia like, you know, Mickey Mouse ruined Dukas for sure for everyone. Like, you can't help but think of Mickey Mouse and the dancing broomsticks if you grew up at that time. So it's a risky thing, but I almost wish like, oh no, just just use it. Like if the composer and the rights holders agree to it um, and they don't think Mickey Mouse would paint their piece in an inaccurate light or whatever they choose to do it for the royalties, great, please do that rather than like, write these stand-in replicates that are totally the same thing
2: but, but wait Casey you don't think that Fantasia enhanced Duka?
0: well it says that's totally debatable because it's like on one hand well there's a whole generation of people that know it at least exists now um and then there's the rest of us that maybe like already had an idea of what it was but now like it only means this other thing so I don't know yeah it's, it's certainly debatable but point being like it should be the rights holder's uh, choice, you know, of course. And directors should go like, wait, just use the real thing, you know.
3: Casey, yeah. how much royalty money are you making off of a uh, white knuckle stroll being used for hold music at JMU?
0: Isn't that weird? What are they? What? <laughs> it's not good hold music. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's the registrar's music too. It's really, really bizarre. And no money.
2: No money. So if you're not already anxious, while well, you're calling the registrar. <laughs> <This> <laughs> Maybe
4: White knuckles will make, knuckle will, will make <laughs> you feel anxious.
0: I know. It's really, really bizarre.
4: Maybe they'll replace it with uh, Caleb's uh, marimba version now on steroids. So.
0: Oh, sure. They're... Yeah, please, please. That's better. That's better music for sure. Well, and you know, every person in the music department is like, hears it and goes like, what the heck is this? We got to call them. And then they get too busy and never do it. So it's <laughs> on there for Four years or something.
4: Um, uh, Martelina, please tell me who was the biggest pleasure to work with when it comes to contemporary composers? Because I'm sure you've had you had some awesome uh, privileges to perform some great world premieres of new music. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, um, I got to give like I think the U.S. I believe the U.S. premiere of um, Lachenman's uh opera which was based on a little little match girl which is a uh, a European um, story uh, if you don't know it but I got to premiere this at Spoleto Music Festival and um, that that was an amazing experience because he actually flew in and if you've never seen him he's a very very tall old man like when you think of old people like they're seldom ever that tall and he's like (laughs) I want to say he's like six foot five, six. He's enormous. Like, he's like Gandalf. (laughs) that's amazing. Working with him was really fascinating. So this opera actually had 12 percussion parts. And the rental, I believe, for the percussion equipment cost $150,000. So, yeah, a lot of money. And so we actually uh, had specifically rented... These Kohlberg stands, which are amazing. I wish America had more of the stuff, but it is quite expensive. Um, and it just makes so much sense because like you can mount all these temple blocks, wood blocks, all these things, like boom, 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 boom. And that's basically kind of what we did. And so we had all those instruments, like four cymbals that had like steel drum, five tom toms, snare drum, field drum, bass drum behind me, three gongs, and all this stuff. It was like it was just absolutely bonkers. This this opera and it was kind of like an anti-opera opera i don't know if you would call it that but the stage itself he didn't have any actors on the stage besides for one tiny moment it was um shadow puppets and the singers themselves they were um where the orchestra was and the orchestra was above the stage nice so yeah it was just kind of this totally you know whacked out opera and i definitely enjoyed playing it it was non-stop playing which like is never the case pretty much in opera percussion playing like you don't just play every measure and that's what it was we just like turn and actually it was so involved that um we all kind of had the conductor and like a click I think and a headset and we had like a monitor of him because we were like we couldn't even fit on the stage like around the stage as well and it was a great experience, but I will remember one time um, uh, he kind of like stopped rehearsal. He's like, "Oh, who's like who's playing the ta- tam tam there?" Like oh, that's like always the worst thing. It's like when so, <laughs> when the when the composer or the conductor is like, "Um, you know, who's playing that?" And you're like, oh, "Okay, me." You know, and <laughs> and so like he actually walks all the way. He's like he stops. You know, laughing man. He's not conducting, but he's kind of around. He's like. Oh, okay, what's your name? And I'm like, Marcelina. And he's like, okay. So he's like talking to the whole orchestra. Like, so Marcelina, we have to, I'm going to have to go show her how to play the tam-tam because I, she's not quite kind of doing it how I want her to do it. And I was like, oh, no. everyone thinks I don't know how to play the tam-. I was like playing the tam-tam how you like play a tam-tam, you know? <laughs> but no, like what he wanted is for me to take a snare drumstick and like drag it like perpendicularly down the tam-tam like that. <laughs> And I'm like, oh well, of course. If I knew that it was that, you know, I've done, I've, I've like ripped tape off a bass drum. If you just, you know, but it was just like this really kind of cute moment where I had this like ginormous, like you know, super imposing, super famous, you know, conductor Lockenman come over and like kind of make a fool out of me. But like it was, it was, it was a fun time. But.
3: I But That reminds me of something, And Carly. Correct me if I'm wrong in how I remember this, but. Uh, Carly and I worked with uh, Michael Colgrass when we were students at Miami and Carly was playing this marimba part and he wrote like with bass drum mallets. And Carly was just using like, you know, who uses bass drum mallets on marimba? So she's using soft marimba mallets. And when he came, I think he was like, no, 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 bass drum mallets. And she did, she was like, oh, it, it actually sounds kind of nice. Like <laughs> He
4: was a I was, percussionist. I was thinking like, no. oh, well,
2: you know, I know Michael Colgrass was a percussionist, but I was thinking like, well, we have like these really soft marimba mallets now. I'm going to use the softest Nancy mallets and they're going to sound great. But no, as soon as, as soon as I switched to bass drum mallets, it was like, okay, definitely. <laughs> Well, Marcelina, one thing that I thought about when I was getting ready for this interview is uh, I remember, gosh, it was probably, it might've been your first or second year in Miami. And I had some students from one of the private schools that I work with go to one of the educational concerts and they came back the next time I saw them, it was like three little fifth grade girls in in band. They came back and they were like, guess what? New World Symphony has a girl in the percussion section. And that is amazing. And, you know, like, like you we haven't talked about this but you know i think a lot of women who are percussionists are kind of sick of hearing like oh it's so cool mm-hmm. that you're a girl and you play percussion how amazing but it is so powerful in realizing that these young girls that were just starting to study percussion found it so remarkable to see somebody that looks like them on stage so i wanted to ask you You had a a really wonderful role model when you were young and one of your first teachers uh, as part of the percussion scholarship group, Patsy Dash of the Chicago Symphony, of course. Um, But I, I wonder, what are your thoughts on representation of women in the percussion world? And do you ever feel kind of a responsibility to be a visible role model for the next generation of percussionists?
1: Yeah, this is something like, you know, that's kind of always in the back of your head, you know, when you go on stage and yeah like you do kind of feel like oh I will have interactions with like audience members for whom that is a really big deal and so that's it's nice to hear that you know I'll have some impact on their lives um there was a girl I remember um who was I think applying or wanted to apply for the percussion scholarship program and her mother had like contacted me somehow um and was saying that her daughter had been watching my video of the copel every night for the past like few months. Ugh. And I was like, oh my God, like, first of all, <laughs> stop. It's, don't. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was like, wow, you know, and then, and then because of that, she wanted to go into percussion and um, she was like, she was a very kind of timid, timid, I think, individual in general um, and like this had, this was something that, you know, would probably help her come out of her shell and, and stuff like that. And so just to like, think about, you know, you having an influence over like someone's life like that is just like insane to think about. And I don't know, it, it's, it's really weird. It's like humbling and uh, I don't know. Um, I don't like to think about myself that way, but you know, for sure, like in, when I was growing up in Poland, um, uh, my mom. There's a pianist in the orchestra there in my hometown. And I would go with her oftentimes, like even when I was still in my diapers, like to the orchestra. She'd have me just like walk around or whatever. And and I remember seeing um, two or three female percussionists in that orchestra. So actually, I kind of didn't think this was kind of a weird, this was a thing until I came to the States. And yeah, I guess there were a, a little bit less um, women um, for sure. And I think definitely even more so in the orchestral field. Chances are, when I show up to an audition, chances are I'm probably the, one of the only, if not the only girl in the warm-up room or, you know, um, in like a semi-final round or a final round or something. It's, uh, it is definitely like something I kind of, I don't see sometimes I'll st- not think about it as much. I mean, am in an all-male section um, besides me. And uh, my colleagues don't treat me any different. I don't treat them any different. And I feel like in general, I've, the, the situation has significantly improved. Um, I think, you know, we've had so many reckonings with different movements. Um, where people uh, kind of, yeah, we just have to treat each other as humans, um, kind of treat each other as human first everything else is secondary yeah we are certainly built differently but also people within one gender are built differently and even just within percussion uh there's different schools of playing that like um you know if you have shorter arms i hear that like you know like rolling like this helps you have a more full role and stuff like that Mm. but um yeah like um certainly having um seeing seeing a lot of women in these you know higher positions whether it was Sorry if you hear that. Um, whether it was like the woman in my hometown Philharmonic or Passy and Cynthia like kicking butt in CSO, certainly that like has an effect on someone, you know. Um, like you see someone that looks like you in a high position, you're like, oh wow, that's something that is, you know, achievable. Um, and definitely it can be, you know, as inspiration as well. But um also, you know, like Patsy uh, has offered me so many amazing (laughs) words of advice and um, she just says like you know work hard you might have to you you might have to work a little bit harder and she says um you have to just be strong because there are there are going to be people that are you know haters and people that try to take you down but that's like the rest of your life and if anything the higher you climb the worse the haters
2: get and whatever. Well, I think that's a healthy way to, to think about it, you know, like to be aware of scenarios that you could come across or, you know, a certain maybe overt or more discreet discrimination, but also knowing like, well, I'm going to do my thing and do my best and, and, you know, and that's that. Um, but always keep in mind, know that your presence is meaningful whether we think of it as remarkable when it's ourselves or not like oh you know i'm special because i'm a female percussionist but it's it's meaningful on so many levels and it was it was particularly meaningful for me to hear these little girls say that so wanted to share that with you
3: carly your story reminds me so much of cnn has this wonderful series called the 70s and there's different episodes on music and uh you know politics and different things that were happening in the 70s it's produced by tom hanks but I remember on the 70s one they talked about the Jackson 5 and if you think about mainstream uh, American television programming they were not featuring black artists um, and so there was a black commentator and she said the Jackson 5 came on tv and like they, everyone in her, in her household got excited and she said they looked like us on tv like we'd never seen us on tv and there we were so I think yeah like that's, that's a perfect example of representation it's you can get so excited to see you on stage or you on tv
2: i'll ask you one one more question to finish up i have to know because i've been living in south florida now almost 10 years and ben and ksenia also did their time down here what are some of your favorite things about living in miami uh they say the weather i know but i'm gonna be cliche and
1: say the weather because you can exercise at all in all seasons like outside um i've never lived in a place where i could like exercise outside between the months of like December and even May sometimes in like Chicago are just a mess sometimes right so that's definitely it and like you know I've been getting into like paddle boarding and just getting different uh workouts and stuff like that and it's so much easier when
2: you can go outside yeah Um, yeah for sure especially during the pandemic yeah in nature so are you so adapted now to the weather down here that like in December, does it feel too cold to go paddle boarding or? I mean, look at me. I'm in a fleece. I am so disgusted
1: with myself. I know. <laughs> actually, today's actually kind of a warm day. I'm not sure why I'm wearing this, but um, I, I, I feel like I'm half adapted and half not because yeah, we will have like our first kind of cold day and I'm like, Whoa. But I, I'm more happy, whoa, not like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm just kind of more surprised and caught off guard. But I will say, I, I always leave here in the summer. Like, I'm never here in the summer. Just because after a certain degree, I just, the like, all Polish people, we just, like, seize up. We just can't function. <laughs> we all, we're like the iguanas when they freeze over and just fall off. Like, I was we're gonna... off We're off so We get freeze, and we just, like, fall down. We can't. We can't do it. So... Like high humidity and high temperatures, it's just, I just, I need to get out. So I usually I usually usually travel in the summer. So this summer was like really bizarre for me because I usually just fly, I don't know, I rack up miles in the summer just to get out and like explore and stuff like that. So hopefully next summer uh, I can figure out, you know, something to do.
4: Right, gosh, I hope
2: so for all of our sakes. I hope we can travel next summer. Marcelina, yeah. well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful chatting with you and stay safe. Enjoy. This will, this will release post-holidays, but enjoy your holidays and uh, hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much.